if you live in Seattle, this is just a great day. You should be out sun tanning. And, but for all of us Southern California people, the rain impedes so much. I'm so glad that you got up, made the drive, and reminded yourself, you don't have to come to church. You get to come to church, Amen. right? So for those of you who made the effort this morning, God bless you. Thank you for coming. And, you know, there's lots of churches in Costa Mesa. Wherever you're going, just, you know, be faithful. Go to a church. Serve. Ask questions. Call the pastors up. Get involved. Because the beautiful thing about it is we actually care, and we really enjoy seeing you. So God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for coming. There's no Super Bowl. There's no distractions today. Just a simple little Pastor Jeff message of 45 minutes to an hour and a half, and we'll be done. I promised Eric today will be the shortest message I have ever given. Don't say woo. Do not say woo. Because just like that, I felt five minutes add to it. No. So, so here's the difference. Before, before I came to this church, I used to have to do 10 to 12 page, 14 page messages. Um, I was under the tutelage of someone that kind of showed me that the more we could give on Sunday was like, you know, the greater level of dedication. I tell you, I used to labor sometimes a month in advance to prepare for messages. And you can ask my wife, you know, 30 years in ministry, 15 years of paid ministry, Sundays were very laborious for me. And coming here and watching Pastor Eric work, um, obviously he's a gifted speaker, and so he's able to compile messages in much shorter times than much regular folks can but just kind of watching the skill craft that he put into that and the time and energy really kind of helped me kind of find my own way. So even though today seems like it's the first time that I've given this message, I've actually said this message five times all the way through. And then having that recorded on my phone, I get to drive around and listen to myself <laughs> giving the message. And, and because of that, even though it's only been 30 minutes, it's so weird because I used to teach for an hour and a half every single Wednesday night to my students, and I kind of had a sense of pride about how long that was. But you know what? You don't need a lot of time. You just need the meat. You just need the truth of God's word because it's so powerful. And today we're in the book of Acts. We're still in the book of Acts. We're going to be there a while. We're in the second half of uh, chapter 8. So I have um, verses 26 through 36, and we're just going to cover one story. And it's one story, one account of one guy who, believe it or not, the last time I spoke to you guys back in chapter 5, we introduced the first deacons. If you guys were here for that, you remember the first deacons? One of those first deacons was Philip, right? And so it's so cool today because in chapter 8, in this part of the, where we are in the account, this is another account of who Philip is and what Philip does. And because he's a deacon, I just want to remind you guys, deacons do Deacons are the doers of the church. They love to just do the work. We have some amazing deacons and deaconesses in the church. People that are willing to shuttle coffee back and forth across the street for you each and every week. And then because the pastors ask, shut it down at 10. Because we want you guys to come in and worship. Those are deacons. Someone who stands out in front of the church and greets people week after week or is part of a team and cares about people, deacons are doing. And so if you're not part of any form of deacon ministry in the church, just want to encourage you how grateful and thankful I am because Philip, the guy we're talking about today, is not an apostle. This is just a deacon. This is just the regular working people in the church. And when we read this account of what he does today and the success that God gives him, I really feel like 
I'm a working class pastor, I'm a working class fisherman, and I like to do things, you know, simple and laborious and kind of put my time and energy in for the Lord. And it's very inspirational when I see what God has done with Philip. Philip's right in the middle of this amazing ministry in Samaria. And as you guys recall, that's kind of the initial commission that the Lord gives, Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And so Philip's going to be the one that actually goes out there first. Believe it or not, the first people dispersed to go speak are the people. The apostles, as we're going to find out, are actually home, holding. And that's interesting because apostles means sent ones, right? So the sent ones are actually home while the deacons are going to go out and do. And I don't know about you, but if you know just a little bit about the account, as soon as he goes to Samaria and begins to speak, he instantly has the Lord's blessing and he has success in that. And then all of a sudden, as if from out of nowhere, this little tap on his shoulder and he's going to get some instructions. Not just, you know, super informative instructions, but basically head south. Leave what you're doing and head south. There's a road. I need you to get on it. I'm just blown away by that, that the Lord would come up to someone who's in the middle of a ministry, tap them on the shoulder, and then send them in the opposite direction. Now, I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where I thought the Lord was tapping me on the shoulder and sending me in the opposite direction. Have you guys experienced some of those? I was at Point Loma College back in uh, 85 when I first uh, met my wife, and uh, I had thought Point Loma was the place to be and was so happy to be there. Uh, great roommates, you know, from the freshman dorms, you can walk right to the water. Everything was glorious, but I thought I felt that tap and heard, heard somebody say, you know what, Pastor Jeff, you're really not a surfer or a beach person. You're actually a cowboy, and, and you need to get on in your car and drive to Baylor and go learn the cowboy way. And I was like, ah, it was such an influential thing growing up. I went to a Southern Baptist church in San Juan Capistrano, all founded by people from Fort Worth. And I got in my car, I got some, you know, affirmation from my girlfriend, now my 35-year wife, and family and friends, and I drove 1,865 miles in the wrong direction. And I landed at Baylor, and I thought, this is ridiculous. What have I done? (laughs) Homecoming, 1985, Baylor versus Arkansas, 35,000 people tailgating everything that a young college person in the world could want, need. Fort Worth, what an amazing town. And I was never so lonely in my life. My roommates were spectacular. They took me and showed me all around Texas, Billy Bob's and all the different country western places we went to. It was amazing. And so lonely I was in my life. Three weeks into the endeavor, I sat down one night and I prayed, Lord, I'm here. Where are you? Why haven't you come join me on this amazing journey that you sent me on? And he said, I didn't send you. You left what? I left? And isn't that just us, right? We go somewhere and then we invite the Lord. Hey, Lord, I'm over here. Come join me. And he's like, no, I need you to get back in the car, ding dong, and drive all the way back. Ice storm, perfect Texas ice storm. My car is frozen. I can't even get the door open. I'm like, Lord, this is not going to work. I drove 1,865 miles straight. At least three times I passed out and should have died. One time behind a milk truck, I know, because the milk truck was swaying and holding the whole traffic behind me, so I must have just nodded and and completely lost my brain. And I realized something about that. We're going to learn with Philip. If you leave without affirming with the Lord first, folks, wherever you go, it will not be successful. If you're somewhere today where you just feel totally thwarted and struggling about, where are you, Lord? I'm here. I'm ready to do the work. And it's just not happening 
today's message will speak directly to you because you can go and you have all the affirmation from your friends and your family and everyone, but if the Lord isn't in it, then you already know what you need to do. Like the prodigal, you have to go back. And that was hard for me to go back. But I went back anyways, and I got married, and she was 19 and I was 20. And I can tell you this, once the Lord's hand was in it, it's never changed. From that moment forward, it's never changed. And what I love about this account with Philip is from the very beginning when he goes to Samaria, he heard from the Lord and he knew that he was supposed to be there. So from the very beginning, as soon as he speaks, he knows the Lord's in it. And that's going to be crucial for you and I because whoever sends you, whoever is responsible for sending you, is responsible for what? Provision. Crucial. Crucial, crucial component for you to remember. He who sends is responsible to provide. That's why the Lord's command was, follow me. Follow me. Who will provide? Who will take care? As you wait till you see this account, there's not a lot of information for the omnipotent, all-knowing, powerful God to send a messenger that just says, go south. Pretty, pretty amazing to think that he just stops what he's doing in the midst of this very successful ministry, and he goes south. Why? Because the Lord was responsible from the beginning, and so the Lord is going to continue to be responsible. He goes right away without hesitation, because the same success that he was having there, he expected to have wherever he went. And it wasn't just kind of good success. It was overwhelming success. The success in Samaria was so amazing that the sent ones who are sitting in a room in Jerusalem begin to hear of what's happening in Samaria. That's pretty impressive. When the ripple back in one part of town is happening so that in another part of town, people actually hear what God is doing, pretty impressive. Even so, we learned last week the town magician Simon, he even makes this false conversion, right? We find out it's a false conversion because he wants to buy the Holy Spirit because he sees what it's doing to the people. And in that false conversion, he wants to buy that power so that he can use it for himself, right? Who's responsible for your provision? Simon exposes himself that he wants to be responsible for his provision, and he's rebuked heavily for that. And I find that so interesting because when it comes to waiting, when it comes to trusting, when it comes to obedience in God, I hear the American version of waiting, and it sounds a lot like wasting. And I think, how often do we say, Lord, I need to know, should I go to Texas or should I not go to Texas? And we want yes or no, and we want it right away as soon as the prayer ends. And Psalm 27, 14 comes creeping into our life, and the Lord says, wait. Right? We're not programmed to wait. This is California, right? Get all you can, can all you get, keep all your cans, and then get some more cans, right? I got to have it. I got to have it now. And he's like, Jeff, I need you to wait. Remember, you tried this go on your own, get everyone to affirm you. I just need you to wait. And Philip does that. He waits. And he's like, you know what, Lord, if you want me to go, I can hear that still small voice. I want to talk about the still small voice a little bit later on because Elijah had a problem with the still small voice, right? He wanted it in the earthquake. He wanted it in the wind. He wanted it in all these giant things. But you're going to find out today that the still small voice speaks today, and it continues to speak quietly to and through God's word. So let me pray. And if you want to turn with me, Acts 8, 26 through 36. Acts 8, 26 through 36. Let me pray. Father God, you are so good, and your mercies endure forever. And the opportunity to study your word today is really just that. It's an opportunity to, to slow our own lives down, to take a deep breath and trust that everything that we need has already been provided in your provision. How often we, like the rich young ruler, want to get our house, 
in order. We want to take care of all the things that make us not worthy to have your provision. And in so doing that, Father, we remove ourselves from your provision and become responsible for taking care of ourselves. Father, this message is so clear in that, that if we would just listen for the Spirit of God, and when we hear that, and it is affirmed, be obedient to take that first step. So much is going to happen after the first step. And I know for today, Father, there's got to be people in here that are hearing the Spirit, beckoning them to go and to do and to serve and to do these different things. And for so many people, their desire to have all of it laid out, Father, is stopping them from taking just that first step in faith and being obedient. Father, we help us to see in Philip, the deacon's amazing example, what happens when we're faithful to just one. We say it all and do it all in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. So here he is in Samaria. He's, he's located in the town of Samaria, and he's, he's having tremendous success. So think of it like multitude, like he is preaching to a, a magnitude and a multitude of people. But he's going to get this tap on his shoulder as we read this account, and he's going to be sent for one. He's going to be sent for one, all right? So let's read this, and Mark, I'll have you throw that slide up in one second. Find some lighting so I can actually read this. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up, go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's a desert road. That's all the information he gets. And he got up and he went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure and had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot. And he was reading from the prophet Isaiah. And then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join the chariot. Philip ran up. And heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How could I unless someone guides me? And he, the eunuch, invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shearer is silent. And so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation for his life is removed from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began from the scripture as he preached to him Jesus. As they went along the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? He baptized the eunuch and departed. All right, so from, from review from last week, chapter 8 is about persecution. Chapter 8 is about the birth of the church through persecution. It starts off with this idea that um, Stephen, the first martyr, is going to be killed. And for a lot of us, when we think about persecution, especially when we think about persecution today, we think about how difficult it is to speak. But that is definitely not what the Bible teaches. The Bible clearly teaches that in a time of persecution, the way, God's faith, Christianity, it explodes. Matter of fact, recently, I think uh, last month, Eric shared with you a statistic that in areas that the church is being persecuted, such as China, Iran, and other countries, the explosion there of faith is exponential to anywhere else in the world. So we have to first stop you know, saying to ourselves, because of persecution, that limits our ability to speak. That's not what this message conveys, and that's not what the scripture conveys. From the very beginning, the commission to Judea, Jerusalem, and Samaria, persecution has been part of it from the very beginning. 
Saul's not just sitting and trying to persecute. He's actively persecuting. He is up, out, and about. He's even going into houses, pulling people out, and putting them into prison. Why? Because he's doing everything he can to make the way come to a screeching halt. He wants them to realize something, that if he can stop Christianity early on, it can be a vapor. Instead, what he doesn't realize is Christianity is absolutely going to explode from this. And what happens? The first people he disperses is the actual body of Christ, the working people of the church, you, the light of the church. The first people are dispersed, and so they have this instant opportunity to go speak. Now, Philip had been doing ministry from the very beginning. Remember, I told you in chapter 5, he was one of the first deacons selected. So his initial job was just to make sure that the widows were fed correctly. And he had shown himself faithful from the very beginning. So now as the opportunity goes from taking care of feeding the widows to evangelism, whatever the role was that God had for Philip, his, his response is always the same thing. Here am I, Lord, send me. A deacon who's ready to do. And so he takes this way out with him, and he begins speaking right away. The fact that he has to leave one place and go to another doesn't bother him. The fact that he has to go about 65 miles south of where he is is very interesting. He's told to go 65 miles south without any indication of any provision. Now, I looked up some statistics, and it says back then, even today, a healthy person can walk 15 to 20 miles a day. Either way, Philip's walking from three days to a week, with no information, with no guidance, with no directions. We're not given any other information. And what do you think he's thinking about? I can only imagine he's thinking about his vibrant ministry in Samaria. I can only think he's thinking about all the different things that he was doing in Samaria, and yet that the Lord would tap him and send him. He's probably thinking, okay, but the Lord has something for me. What is it? As the message kind of reads into that, as he's walking along, it says in the beginning that an angel first met him and gave him information. An angel is a messenger of God. Two-thirds of the angels remained in heaven, and exclusive job for them is to simply declare that which the Lord tells them, right? One-third of the angels have then left and have the opportunity to bring a different message. We have to be very cautious about testifying and, and testing that message because both angels bring messages. The Bible makes it very clear. If an angel brings you a message that's against God's word, you're to refute it. And that's interesting information for some of you who study apologetics because two of the major religions out there are brought by an angel. But this angel tells him, I want you to go and I want you to do. And then what's interesting in verse 25, it says, then the spirit said to Philip, go and talk to that one. Not only is Philip in the right place, not only is Philip in the right mind, but Philip is in the right situation to have an angel tell him where to go and then the spirit of God actually indicate to that man right there. And once again, what kind of information does he have to run alongside of him? I mean, I don't know about you, but if I'm waiting four or five days to do my commission and I've been walking on the road all alone and then it's just some random chariot, I like how it also says he ran up. Like Philip, like he's ready to go. I can totally relate to this. He's ready to go. He has no idea what he's doing still. He just knows that he's doing something for the Lord. And how does all that work out? Great and powerfully it works out because the spirit has been moving in this man's. Can you imagine the journey he had to take from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to go worship? I mean, based on the encounter that Philip's about to have with him, I'm not even sure about his faith yet, but he knew enough to go to Jerusalem and worship that the word of God was already working mightily. And this is through the Old Testament, more than likely the Old Testament. He's spending a lot of time in Isaiah. 
He goes all the way to Jerusalem, takes this incredible journey, and he's on his way back, and now Philip simply runs up alongside of him and says, I have a question for you. Now, I want to put the slide up here because some of us cannot simply fathom how that is. So if you look at the very top of that right there, Samaria, to all the way down to Jerusalem, Philip doesn't actually encounter the individual to all the way at the bottom of this road. 65 miles in the opposite direction from a healthy, thriving ministry to meet him there. And what we're going to find out is after the encounter, Philip continues on to the coastline. And then later on by verse 21, he's going to end up being all the way up at Caesarea Maritime. He never even goes back to the work in Samaria. God continues to use him mightily in his house. A little ahead of myself, but that's too exciting when I see that. (laughs) I have a question for you. I'm a simple guy. I like simple things. Why would God take you or me from a ministry that's thriving? Take us from something that we quantifiably can see the hand of God in. Why would God take us from said ministry, tap us on the shoulder with his angel, then confirm with his spirit, go, and all those people and all that stuff is great, but I need you to go, and I just want you to run alongside, go talk to one person. That's a difficult thing to process, right? Because when it, you know, me and Eric often talk about numbers, like, you know, I'm, I'm a traditional assimilation pastor, so I like to count and be accountable and do all the different things. And he likes to say, you know, whatever the Lord brings in, we kind of balance each other out. But I mean, it make, what makes sense to us so much in life is like, that's what we fall back on. If it makes sense, then we want to fall back on that. And then you read something like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and it says, lean not into your own understanding. And it's frustrating, Right? And he's like, I'm just going to go down there. I'm going to walk south. I mean, I've been walking this whole way. There's got to be something. He says, that guy right there in the chariot. I'll tell you what it tells me, 1 Corinthians 9, 16, which is my life first. It says that to become all things to all people is relative to the end of that passage, so that some one particular may come to Christ. The power of one. Folks, don't ever underestimate the power of just one person coming to the saving knowledge of Christ, because within their sphere of influence, within their sphere of influence, they might be the next Billy Graham. Can you imagine the individual who led Billy Graham to the Lord? If he would have thought, what's this young hillbilly guy going to do? I don't, he just, he doesn't even know if he trusts God's word. If you read Billy Graham's thing, he actually went to Forest Home, and at Forest Home, the day before his first speaking, was still struggling with the inerrancy of God's word. And Billy Graham made peace with that and said, you know what, Lord, if you called me to speak, whatever you have. Can you imagine if he wouldn't have gone there? Can you imagine if he didn't speak? Imagine how much influence one person has had. And that's what God's telling me, saying, you don't know, Philip, what's going on. All those people up there is great, but the power of this one eunuch, who's part of what? The court of Egypt, Ethiopia, excuse me. He's part of the queen's court in Ethiopia. The power of this one individual is going to change this land. Now, he's a eunuch, not really a word we're using a whole lot today. And sometimes it's kind of generic for just saying someone who's dedicated to the staff of court. But a eunuch actually meant something. It meant someone who removed their ability to have a a legacy or a generation, emasculated male, so that he could be committed to the cause of a singular issue. And his cause was the queen's treasury. And he's fully dedicated to doing that. And she must trust him emphatically because she's allowed him to travel from Ethiopia all the way to Jerusalem with what? He has a caravan, right? When Philip comes up alongside of him, he has to run alongside his what? His chariot. 
And he's reading Isaiah. He's not just reading Isaiah. He has a long time to read Isaiah. And later on, I'm going to share with you another little insight from Isaiah 53, 7 is the passage that he was reading. But if you get all the way to Isaiah 56, there's a very specific promise from God in Isaiah 56, 4, directly to a eunuch and legacy. How can a eunuch have legacy? God takes care of it. Why? Because Acts 1, 8 said this, if you wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you, and when it does, you will be my not it may be, you will be my witnesses to Judea, to Jerusalem, to Israel, and to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That is an absolute promise that when we wait for the power of the Spirit, when we wait for the provision of the Spirit, we're not running down some road. We're not going on some random journey hoping, but in faith, in obedience, we are believing that what? Three things. It's always been about making disciples. It was never about anything else on the commission of Christ's life. It's always been about the redemption of mankind. Mankind. For God so loved the world, right? The world. In my Father's house are many rooms. He wants to redeem mankind. And there's only one person who can do that. Jesus came to redeem mankind. It's always been about salvation. And that's what that great commission says. Go and make disciples. A disciple is someone who's been redeemed, someone who was once lost and is now found. Secondly, it tells us what? It tells us that God knows where the fertile soil is. God knows. It wasn't that the soil wasn't fertile in Samaria. He said, start in Samaria. He said, start in Jerusalem. He said, start in Judea, which is south. It's the triangle. It's It's this little 33-mile triangle in the middle of nowhere. He said, you know, this little faith is going to start, the way is going to start right in the middle of nowhere, and it's going to affect the whole earth. And we're here today as a repercussion of what started 2,000 years ago in the middle of nowhere, right? He says, I know where the fertile soil is. The whole point of the parable of the sower and the seed is not just that you go randomly throw seed. It's that you hope when you throw seed that one of the four plots of land is the fertile soil, right? Just one plot of fertile soil. Why? Because one seed equals one believer? No. Go back to the parable. One never equals one, ever in the Bible. The plot of the parable seed is that fertile ground comes back 30, not a bad return for one seed, 60, or 100-fold. Wow! The power of 1 Corinthians 9.16 is that I'm going to send you and I'm going to have you go, but you're not just going to be throwing random seed. He's actually going to invite you up to sit with him as he reads the scripture and can't understand it. He's going to invite you to just place the seed in fertile soil and then watch what the Spirit of God does through this eunuch. He knows where the fertile soil is. He guides. He directs. Now what? He provides. Guys, if you're struggling with your evangelism, with your faith, or your oikos, or your sphere of influence, or whatever, you're, maybe it's because you're still trying to lead and provide. Just back off that a little and step back and say, how can I get back under the umbrella? How can I get in God's will? Because if I'm in God's umbrella, he's responsible for provision. He's responsible for protection. Because the bottom line is, it's always been about God's provision. 
It's about God's provision. It's not about our abilities. It's not about what you and I can do outside of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God, the paraclete, was left for us to have someone to walk alongside of us who would empower us to do things that make no sense to us. The whole reason why your ministry and my ministry thrives is because we're in the will of God, and the will of God is empowering us through the provision that he's already provided for that seed to find fertile soil. It's not about your ability. It's never been about your ability. It's about your availability. Now, my friend Tom, we like to borrow phrases and statements from people. I borrowed that from Tom about five months ago, and I've been waiting for it to fall into a message and make perfect sense. And Tom, that makes perfect sense right there. Guys, it's not about your ability. You can eliminate that today. Well, I'm, I'm just not qualified to go be that kind of person that would just go on a journey, a long walk in obedience. I heard Eric say that too. I'm just going to walk 65 miles south because I feel like the Spirit of God's telling me to do so. Right? Nothing else happened in that conversation until he did what? You know, the conversation's here. I need you to go, and I want you to go. Where? Super south. Anything else? No, nothing else. What happens? Nothing until he does that. A lot of us get stuck in this, like, we hear, and we don't know, and so we're... He's going to provide. It's not about your ability. It's about your availability. Are you willing to go south? Because if you go south, I have someone who's literally in a caravan, and he's reading something, and his mind is completely blown because he doesn't know what he's reading, how to understand it. And for his own life, he's a eunuch. He's highly devoted. And as he reads the passes, as a sheep is led to the shears, he's going to be... He is overwhelmed. His own guilt of his own life is overwhelming him. Philip, all he had to do is what? Do the same thing he had done in Samaria. Trust God. Be available. And because of that, as he walks up alongside of him, the man invites him in for this journey home, a thousand-mile journey home, and Philip simply says to him, Do you understand I mean, we're always struggling, like, I got to read books to know how to do this. And Pastor Jeff, you know, you and Eric are the professionals, so you guys can publicly speak and you can do all that. What about that sounds complex? Do you understand? Right? It, the work has already been done. If, if we remove the self from, it's about our ability to, it's already been provided. And the, are you available to simply step into that? And, and you don't think Philip knows the Old Testament? He knows the Old Testament so well that when he's reading this Isaiah 53 passage, he realizes that man's trying to reflect, is, am I the lamb? Am I going to be slaughtered? What generation will I have? I'm going to be separated from my generation? I'm telling you, if you read the rest of that passage in Isaiah 56.4, you've got to get to Isaiah 56.4. The small groups, I would highly recommend the life groups, get to 56.4. It is a very specific promise to eunuchs and foreigners in the same Isaiah passage. How many times are there specific passages to eunuchs and foreigners? And, the, and the, the cool part about the passage, it says, you will have a everlasting name and endure forever. How can a eunuch have an everlasting name and endure forever? This is mind-blowing to him. 
And Philip has to say, because it's not about you. It's about your availability and the fact that you've already gone to Jerusalem and the fact that you've already shown yourself worthy to the queen. If you're available to be used by God, even though you might not physically be able to have a child and your ability to share God's truth with a generation of people, you might have legacy in Ethiopia. Now, those are the kind of questions that stir Pastor Jeff up, right? So I'm like, okay, I'm simple. So what are you saying? How many people today are believers in Ethiopia? Would you believe there's over 500,000 believers in Ethiopia today? Would you believe that over 50% of the population is considered Christian or religious people? Now, other people, we find out later that because the apostles heard of what was going on, they end up going and talking to the Samaritans and talking to other people, and even some of the apostles eventually get to Ethiopia. But I can't help but think of the power of one dedicated, motivated individual who would travel so far to go worship even though he did not fully understand. He just knew he needed to go. Then to be driving home, still not understanding. He's reading again, right? He's still not understanding. <clears throat> so much so that the Word of God says, Philip just runs up alongside him. He's like, how can I understand this? Unless someone guides me, what is the point of this? I'm under conviction, but I have no comprehension. One thing about teaching God's Word for me that's really difficult is you have to be available, and you have to be available even in the middle of your message. Unlike Eric, which I give him credit for, he's far more gifted at proficiently getting things done. I am not. And as so goes, the kind of the joke of the church for me is whenever I preach, needless to say, everyone will be out of the office and walk-ins, phone calls, and life will just explode for that given week. And how it, that's exactly how it was this week. At one point, the spirit tapped me on the shoulder and said, it's time to consume food, head to Del Taco. I responded immediately. <laughs> I was starving, man. I was like, this week has already been forever. Called my wife. She works over in Newport. I said, can you meet me? She said, I just got stuck on a toe. I'll be there in a few minutes. I do what I do. I just stand in front of the little, you know, foyer area because I'm, you know, a stander and kind of whatever. And I'm just, I'm walking back and forth waiting for her to show up. And I see this, this guy, 30-ish, 40-ish years old, and he's walking up the street. He's super clean. All of his clothes are super clean, and he's towing luggage behind him. And as I often do, I just think, that's somebody's son, man. You know, that messes with my cranium. I don't know about you guys. That messes with my head. I'm like, that's somebody's son, Lord. Just whatever his, whatever his journey is, whatever his trip is, just be with that guy, you know. And I close my eyes because I'm, I'm like that. I'm just like, Lord, just walk with this guy. And all these people, there's a lot of homeless people in our Del Taco right here, you know. I don't even know how the lady manages the store. And as I'm praying, I open my eyes, and the guy's right here. <laughs> he was out in the street. He was walking up Newport. I don't, I don't know. I'm like, okay, got to be available. You just thought about that. How you doing, brother? He said, man, do you know where Harbor is? Because I need to get on a bus and get out of this town. I'm like, oh, yeah, just go all the way up to 19th, go left, and go right and around on Harbor. He goes, okay. And then that gets you to the bus station pretty quick. And I'm like, ooh. No. Bus or train station, you got to go all the way to Fullerton, bro. That's a long journey. He's like, oh, man, my phone just died. Everything's crumbling around him. And an hour and a half later, as we're sitting eating lunch, I realized my wife had showed up, saw me talking to him, and she left. (laughs) 
because that's what Jeff does. He just talks to strangers. And man, I was sitting there talking to the guy. His name's Peter. And as he was talking to me, his arms, he's fully sleeved. And it's nothing but Coptic crosses and Bible verses, Philippians 4.13, Hebrew names of Jesus, Yeshua. His whole body's just covered in that. And he's telling me how broken his life was from the day he graduated from Azusa Pacific Seminary and was supposed to be his mom's hopes, dreams, and aspirations. But the word of God confused him so and alcohol stepped into his life that he walked away from it all. And I said, dude, but you're covered in the names of God, man. I mean, like you can't even, how can you go through the, I mean, you're looking at it all day long. You really expect God to just let you go? I mean, you have free will. Go knock yourself out if that's what you want to do. But at the point you're broken, do you really think with Yeshua on your forearm, you're just going to be able to just walk away from it? He's like, Pastor Jeff, if I could have just understood the term predestined, it wouldn't have been so hard for me. But the fact that it feels like in my heart that God predestined some for hell, it just broke me. And I said, dude, that's not the truth of God's heart. I said, my sister-in-law tried to have children. She had what's called an ectopic pregnancy. And she almost died the first time as it went in her right side. And she went back in and told the doctor, I'm not going to stop until I have a child. And she tried again. And the left side, she did it. It burst. And she almost died. And she told her husband, no matter what happens, no matter how long it takes, we will raise a child. Sarah, where are you at? We will raise a child. And I don't care if society makes sense or doesn't make sense. We will raise anything and anything that God will give us. So she tried adoption. She tried financially committing to the whole thing. Nothing. So she went back into the agency and said, give me the kids that nobody wants. And she got a phone call. A child was born to a mother. It had nine children on crack and the child was available. Not even the same color and lifestyle as her. And she said, I don't care. I will love the child with everything I have. And that began an ongoing onslaught of children. She had the most eclectic family on the planet Earth. And she knew going in the chances of just one of those children loving her was few and far between. And it never stopped her. Even as she was litigated by one of her own children for taking an Xbox from them and having the police called on her, she never gave up on those kids. And she still continues to battle for those kids today. If that's not predestined love, I don't know what is. And that's what God says when he says, I predestined you before you were born. I foreloved you. And in my father's house, there are many rooms. And Jesus didn't die for some He said, God so loved the world that whosoever opens the door. And as I looked over, this guy's just weeping bitterly. I mean, weeping bitterly. His food is just being washed and and just the spirit of God is just, I mean, I'm Del Taco and I'm I'm, I'm on it. I'm on it, guys. I mean, I'm full blown. And I look behind me and the two UPS guys are just like, they're praying. They're just with me and they're just, it's just, it's happening. And he looks up to me and he says, if someone would have just told me that, I would have never left. And I said, I'm telling you now. So what are you going to do, tap, tap, when the Spirit of God says, I need you to go? And he says, my mom's dream was that I would be in ministry. And the last thing my mom said to me two years ago was, if you could just make it to U-Turn for Christ in Paris, I feel like you could come back. He goes, I'm going I'm to go to that bus station. 
and I'm going to make it there. And at some point in this next week, I plan on calling U-Turn for Christ in Paris and asking them if a young man named Peter has checked in. It is my earnest prayer that he has, because I really feel like God was channeling this whole message to me saying, it's not about how busy you are. It's not about how much you know. It's how available you are to speak the truth of God into someone's life who so desperately needs it. What did I have to do? All I had to do was respond to hunger. Let's be honest here. There was no pastoral calling in that issue. That was not some high and holy calling. That was hunger. All I had to respond to was hunger. And he took my wife out of it with a toe. And she got mad that I was talking, which is what I always do. But that's because God had something he wanted to teach me. How available are you when I tap you on the shoulder and say, you're in? That guy. You know, because I get the response, me? Are you talking to me? I mean, that guy, the street person, right? Me? Yeah, that guy. He's one of mine. He's one of my sacred, beloved children of God. He's somebody's son. He's somebody's daughter. What are you going to say when he taps you on the shoulder? I honestly didn't have to do anything, guys. It's nothing that years and years of training had nothing to do with it. I just had to be available and respond to Peter with the story that God had showed me to be true. That even though predestined is a confusing topic, that God's word is still true, even when you don't understand it. Don't ever let it impede you from following and being obedient to God's word. If you don't understand it, make peace with it. That's what Billy Graham had to do. The entire Bible's correct, even if I don't understand it. Yes, Billy, can you make peace with that? Yes, it's inerrant. It's without error, as spoken by the Spirit of God. (laughs) Boom, he goes down to L.A., And from that point on, he never looked back. My guy was covered, and he couldn't wait to get away, and I couldn't wait to kind of just trust the Lord with it. And I can't help but think of what what this eunuch was, because all of a sudden, in the middle of their journey, um, the Dead Sea is to the right. The Sea of Galilee is north. Do you see any water between Jerusalem and Astos? Because that is 100% solid desert. Right? Right? And then all of a sudden it says the eunuch sees water. Just that alone like jumped out of the pages to me. It's like he couldn't help but hear the word of God, consume the word of God, and then want to respond. Acts says this, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized. This man had been waiting his whole life. This man finally understood something. I'm about to be giving a forever legacy that anyone I share this Christ with will become part of the family of God and that I will have something to do with that and that this could be my legacy. This could be the thing that carries on. God revealed to him a new plan for his life. And all of a sudden, water appears. And what does he do? Boom. He jumps right on it. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever struggled with evangelism, there's nothing worse than trying to you know, manipulate the Spirit or manufacture the Spirit to make something happen. Right? You know those moments, and it just feels like it's... And then there's times like this where I just go eat food, and I'm just hanging out, and I'm just praying. Boom, and it just lays down right in front of you. How much more proficient would we be if all of us had that same spirit, same mentality? Well, you know, Pastor Jeff, how, how do we hear? I mean, there's so much noise. There's so much distractions. Um, Pastor Eric and I were talking about, you know, I mean, it's... Is desperately horrific as watching someone like Kobe pass is the reality is what does it take to get the world's attention anymore? Are we really shocked and awe about anything? 
Just watch five minutes of commercials. Watch 10 minutes of TV. I mean, it's, the world's shock and awe is gone. Yet somehow the Spirit's saying, I want to provide. I want to lead you. You, you know what, rich young ruler? You don't need to go home and get all your stuff in order. Or sell. You need to sell all your stuff to follow me. Because if you have all that stuff, that's where your provision will come from. But if you follow me, then I will provide. Are you not more worthy than the sparrows? Do they lay up? Do they store up? They do not. That is such a crucial component of who Philip was. He was willing to do the work without any regards to pay because his salvation came in knowing that he followed Christ. And if Christ said, go, go left, go straight, go right, he was going to go. And I think that's what's so amazing about the story is he doesn't stop going. He literally goes all the way to the coast. He moves all the way up through Joppa and then ends up in Caesarea. And in chapter 21 of Acts, when we finally get there, you're going to realize something about him. He's now known as Philip the Evangelist, him and his household. He now has a family. And they're all known for doing one thing, continuing the legacy that God began with them when he first told them to go. That's the lesson that Philip taught us today. Listen. How do you listen? When you read God's word, eh? when you pray on God's word, prayer and supplication, when you read God's word, and when you pray, the Spirit then has the opportunity to move. Now, I said I would speak a little bit about Elijah. The problem is we want that big monumental booming moment, right? We want that big monumental moment where it's so clear and so obvious. But is that how the Scripture says the Spirit speaks? No. He says it's in the still quiet that he speaks. And if we would just yield to that and make an opportunity for that moment to even occur in our life, if we would shut off some of the noise and be quiet with the Lord and just stand down, I think you'd not only hear from the Lord anew, but you'd have greater confidence because I guarantee you today the Lord is telling some of you, move. He's telling some of you, serve. I've called you and I've commissioned you, serve. There is no greater calling in our life than to serve somebody else, to make disciples, you don't have to give, you get to give. How about that? If you just reveal that, well, I know how churches are, and I know how money is, and I have to give. That's not of the Lord. You get to live. You get to live on 90% of everything that you make. And you get to give to the Lord's work so that people in Costa Rica can have, how many people went, Eric? 12? 12 gifted people of their own volition would raise funds and go fly to another place to go pour into a community, a small community of believers under the pretense that just one Costa Rican believer is worth it and might make a difference to that entire country. Maybe you get an opportunity to forgive. Maybe the Spirit's tapping you on the shoulder and he's saying, you know what, you've carried that long enough. If you don't forgive, you can't forgive, you can't be forgiven. Do you understand that if it's forgiveness is an issue and the Spirit's saying you've got to forgive, you can't hold on to that. It's impeding your forgiveness from God. Forgive today, let it go. Go watch Disney and then let it go. Just just be done with it, let it go. It's not about holding on to what people have done to you and and this is my right and and I'm going to, no, let it go. The Lord will make it right in time. In this life, you're going to have trials, so deal with it. And if it's impeding your relationship with the Lord, let it go. What about if it's time to just love? 
Maybe you're holding back on love, you know? I will love Pastor Jeff, but I will only love people who are worthy. Really? That that sounds so biblical. Where in the Bible did Jesus say, I will only love people that are worthy? Because I want to understand something. You're going to make something a mandate for your life? Then show me in Scripture where it says mandate that principle. Because Jesus loves us before we're worthy. The whole point of love, unconditional agapeo love, is it's not conditional on you doing anything. It's unconditional. It's unmerited favor. It's grace. So why can't you love somebody else? Pretend like they're just as unworthy as you are and love unconditionally and see what happens. I may never see Peter again on this side of heaven, but I may see Peter again one day. And wouldn't it be sweet to have Peter say, that day at Del Taco, put it all in perspective. You know what? The thief on the cross, guys, think about the thief on the cross. This is my mom's moment. Why is the thief on the cross in the Bible? It is a horrible example for pastors like me. I like the Romans road, you know, 323, 523, 620. I love to walk people through, pray this prayer as I pray, you pray. Jesus just says, what? Follow me. And the guy says, remember me. That has got to be the worst conversion in the history of mankind. I mean, it's speaking on a pastor. It's like, what? He's not baptized. He doesn't have any, what? And then Jesus like ruins it even more. He's like, I promise you today you'll be with me in paradise. By the way, a Jewish clock, six o'clock, sundown, 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 that was pretty quick. He was giving him pretty instant affirmation that today he was going to be with him. Because it's never been about saying the right thing. Eric likes to say, Jesus didn't say, say the right thing. Right? He said, follow me. Follow me, guys. If you go back to the beginning, if you follow him, who is responsible for provision? He is. And today, as we sit here, I guarantee you, you're struggling with provision. You're struggling with all these different things that speak about you being in charge of you, your resources, and your stuff. And he simply says, hey, that's free will. If you want to do that, I think of it like an umbrella. You want to walk outside of the umbrella? Get wet. But when you catch pneumonia and you're cold, stop complaining. There is an umbrella, there is a, a way that we can live that's inside of his covering. If you just, just go with it, just trust that he has something better for you. For Philip, it worked out. The eunuch proves one thing. An emasculated male has a legacy in Ethiopia. I assure you that one day you and I will talk to believers who are a repercussion of that first seed from this one man. I promise you that Billy Graham had no idea that one day in Forest Home, that one day that he would go there, that God would use him so mightily that the legacy that he leaves behind is the power of one. And if the devil can do anything in this group today is that he can tell you that your one light's not bright enough to make a difference. I want you to do one small experiment today. Find some place where you can shut off all the lights in your house. Find some place. Go to Big Bear Some place that's void of light, you know, pollution. That's what they call it, light pollution. Find some place that's really, 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 really dark. And just bring one candle with you. Just a baby candle, like a birthday candle. And as you pray this prayer, I want you to do one thing. Pray and then light that one candle. To see the value of one little light, you need to be in the absence of total light. To realize just how powerful one light can be. And that's what our God is telling us today through this simple man. Be available, 
be willing to be obedient, to be used, to accomplish things that are beyond your scope of understanding because people are out there waiting. And I know where the fertile soil is. If you're not willing to ask why today, guys, then I guarantee your faith is struggling. Ask why. You don't have because you haven't asked. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. So what is the Lord telling you today that you need to respond to? I can assure you this, if anything else other than one simple thing, if it's to respond to Jesus Christ as being Lord and Savior, then do not hesitate today to miss that opportunity, to say yes to Jesus today, to lay down your wants, wishes, and desires, to be submitted to him as Lord, Savior, King of all kings. If you will do that, then you have an opportunity to be in his provision. And that is ultimately my prayer, is that we would walk in the provision that is already been given to us. In the name of Jesus, I encourage you, walk today in that light. I'm going to invite the band back up here, and I'm going to pray. I've always been blessed and encouraged by the simple. I don't think we need to make our faith any more complex than it already is. If it was easy to do, everyone would be living the Christian life. God never promised us easy. But he does promise us this, that it's worthwhile. Don't lay up treasures where moth, rust, and thief can steal, but labor for those things eternal. When we labor for salvation, when we labor for evangelism, when we labor to serve, when we labor, when we labor for the simple things of our faith, guys, it takes on a whole new understanding. And praise God for the book of Acts because it tells us the first church went through a lot of the same things that we're going through. They were successful because we're here today, right? And the word of God is being preached all throughout the land. Its commission is being manifest today as we speak. The word of God is going throughout the land. And there will come a time and a day when that comes to an end and a whole new era will be ushered in. So let's continue to do faithfully the work that God has commissioned us to do today. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity to see your hand so clearly in your scripture. And I pray today, Father, there's someone in the building that has not realized that you have made full provision for their life. And in that provision, Father, they need only submit themselves to that. I pray, Father, like the thief on the cross, that we would simplify all the different things that hold us back from truly following that we would have that blessed affirmation that you say that you write our names down in the Lamb's book of life. And if we profess you before man, you profess us before the Father. Father, may we never forget how simple it is that it's always been about going and making and teaching and baptizing. The Great Commission is not something that's optional for our faith. We need to do it, and we need to do it in such a way that we get to be part of the kingdom of God. Father, may we labor in such a way that the kingdom of God continues to grow exponentially. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and what he has done for us and the provision that has been made. We continue to do it all and say it all in his name, above names. Amen.